King, newborn king, we just sang the words. Uh, it's our theme this, this season of hallelujah, Lord of Lord and King of Kings. Some of you may wondered as you walked into the sanctuary and you saw all the tiny lights, which of course are the very essence of the Christmas season. <laughs> anyway, but you also might have noticed purple on the table and thought, isn't Christmas red and green? Well, what is purple though? What's the color of royalty? but the color purple, and so it is the color of Advent, and so that's been on the table each week to remind us of the royalty of our King and Savior, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We've been having fun with this theme of Jesus our King. Last week it wove its way through our big celebration. Uh, During worship, we sang the Hallelujah Chorus to our King, Uh, and in the games afterwards, we did not play bingo, we played Kingo, and everybody who got a straight match across got not only a little prize, but they got a golden crown as well. We had fun weaving it through. And so in order to do more research um, and to even more deeply embrace this theme of, uh, of, of king and kingdom, Megan and I went to see the Broadway and Chicago production of The Lion King this week. <clears throat> <laughs> anyway, um, actually, this was <laughs> it was not deep research. We went anyway, but uh, this was Megan's birthday present. Her birthday was in November, and we finally got to go this last Thursday night. But actually, watching The Lion King made me think back to the days when the, the animated one came out, and our children loved it, and then to see it again on stage, it made us me think about this whole... This whole idea, this whole concept, this whole theme of being a king. And you watch the, the Lion King and it raises questions of a, of a good king and a bad king. Mufasa is the good king and Scar, his brother, of course, is the bad and evil king. There's the willing king and the reluctant king. Mufasa, uh, the father, is the great uh, willing king. And when Simba's a little boy, he can hardly wait to be king. But after there's many hurts and losses in his life, he is the reluctant king and not so sure he is the one that should give leadership to the kingdom. There's the king who is self-absorbed, as we see Scar, and then there's the king who serves his people. And then we see the impact on the kingdom itself. The kingdom is, is shaped by who is the king, obviously. And when Scar is king, when evil Scar is king, then there is a, there is a sense of desolation. There is a, a darkness and a, a hunger and a fearfulness that lives as Scar reigns. And yet under Mufasa and as the musical ends under Simba, there is a kingdom of life and of growth and of hope. The nature of the king determines the nature of the kingdom. And of course, being a, a musical, everything turns out okay in the end and Simba returns the rain and everything is fine and it's very fun and the costumes are amazing and we had a great time. But life doesn't, of course, always go that way. Life is not always fun. But we do know, and part of what we affirm during this season of Advent is the, is the now and the not yet. We know in the not yet that there is this ultimately when our King of Kings and when our Lord of Lords will reign and when we will gather around the throne and we will sing hallelujahs to him and sing of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We know that Jesus, our Savior, is, is moving history in a direction where uh, one day all things will be reconciled and all things, uh, and he will reign in a perfect new heaven and, and new earth. But we live in the meanwhile, don't we? We live in the not yet. Meanwhile, he does reign. There is a kingdom, but the kingdom is within us, and the kingdom is among us, and the kingdom is, is, is not so much a reign as it is a rule of Christ in our hearts and lives and in and through his church as we seek kingdom values and we work towards, the, um, towards the, the image of the kingdom even in our world today as Christ works through the lives of his followers and works through his body, the church. 
It's a time of waiting. We recognize that on the first Sunday of Advent, that, that this is, the, in a sense, the land between, a place of, of waiting, of, of now and not yet. But it is also a time of, of growing our relationship. Waiting doesn't mean just sitting still, but waiting means continuing to pursue Christ, continuing to, to deepen our relationship with him, going deeper, learning to let him be the king of me, and what it means for him to rule, what it means, as we sang in the song, to enthrone him in our lives as king. And so we've said this each of the weeks of Advent, that in this Advent season we celebrate Jesus, and so we shout hallelujah, which is a Hebrew word that simply means praise God. And we look deeply into what it means for him to be our king and lord. Who is the boss of me is the question we're asking. Who do we put on the throne in our own life, ourselves or him? And so we look forward to that perfect day of waiting and preparing, but for now we might describe the Christian life as as really living with the king, and that's our theme today of living with the king. We're looking at the prophecy from, from Micah that Josh and Bridget read for us. It's well known for naming Bethlehem as the birthplace of Jesus, but it also reassures us of the qualities of a life lived with Jesus as our King and Lord, this imagery of of shepherd and the one who keeps us secure. And so we're going to look for a few minutes here at this theme of living with the King now. What does it mean to be living with the King now? We're living with the King and we experience a peace, not a peace that the world gives, but a peace that only Christ can give. We live with the king now, and there's a sense of security, even in a fearful world that we live in, and it's gotten even more scary just in the last couple months, and yet there is a a sense of living securely in our walk with Christ. And then thirdly, we're going to look at living with the king, what it means to a life that may seem small and insignificant, God raises up and exalts. Living with the king, living with the king, living with peace. To get some background, we need to turn to just a brief look at Micah's day when there really was a sense of, of, of no peace. Micah was a contemporary of the prophet Isaiah, and not very much is known about Micah. But we know that he prophesied during a period of, of rapid decline. This is the time of, of history. I'm sure you all remember this from your confirmation days. Anyway, uh, when the kingdom was divided, there was a, a united kingdom under Saul and David and, and Solomon. And then for several hundred years, a divided kingdom, Israel in the north, Judah in the south. It's during that period when most of the prophets spoke, trying to pull the people back to God, and they kept running away. And it was a rapid decline in the northern kingdom was quickly unraveling and about to be destroyed and obliterated and carried off never to return again and micah is part of the prediction of the fall of that kingdom of israel the northern tribes it's a slightly more stable time for judah but it's only a temporary stability long range it looks very bleak for the people of god and the people of judah and the people of israel and all of the prophets speak of a coming judgment they all speak of a coming exile and of of an obliteration of people of god and yet a remnant that may come back someday but they also gradually through these years of prophecy begin to speak of this coming king of this messiah way way off in the future and micah speaks of it here in verse three he speaks of israel being abandoned until she who is in labor gives birth israel will be abandon god says i have had it with you but in a sense he says i've had it up to here not here here there's this hope this hope of the messiah israel will be abandoned what a desolate sounding word isn't it until she who was in labor gives birth abandoned losing its grip kings determine kingdoms Mufasa over a kingdom of growth, Scar over a kingdom of desolation and abandonment. And the kings during this period were not living up to God who who God had called them to be. And so the kings were determining the unraveling of these kingdoms. There is no peace in Micah's day. 
But he looks ahead to this shepherd king. Micah describes this one who will be born in Bethlehem as one who will be ruler over Israel. A king who, he says here, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times in verse 2. One whose origins are from of old. And perhaps what Micah is doing is going back to David, which was 300 years before him. Which in terms of looking back to biblical history isn't that long. But think about 300 years ago from right now. That was kind of a long time ago, wasn't it? It was kind of the ancient days, wasn't it? Kind of like back when Dave started worshiping here, right, Dave? I mean, way, way back, right? Sorry. (laughs) I'm actually older than Dave, so I can do that, but... (laughs) But seriously, connecting back to the the, the origins of of David, but even going farther back into the great plans of God. David was known as shepherd and king, and this one is predicted to stand and shepherd his flock, verse 4. This new king will come and stand and shepherd his flock. Like the kings of old, like David of old. There's a, a richness to this imagery for the people of God, woven through the Old Testament. And there is for us today also, right here and now, as we look at what it means to live with the king. And, of course, in the New Testament, Jesus himself says, I am the the good shepherd, this good shepherd king. Now, Psalm 23 is probably familiar to most of you, and I'm going to read it here in a moment. We often read it at a funeral. In fact, we just read it at Eleanor Bordren's funeral a week ago Friday. But when you look at Psalm 23, also as a richness of how we actually live with Jesus as our shepherd king, it comes alive in a different way. Let me read it for you and add a little emphasis to some of the words. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He helps me rest, okay? And then he leads me. He leads me beside quiet waters. He he alone refreshes my soul. He, this shepherd king, guides me. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. And even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will not fear evil, for you are with me. Psalmist switches from talking about God to speaking to God. You are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. And surely goodness and love, or some of you grew up with goodness and mercy, will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Wow, listen to that, living with a king who guides and leads and comforts and protects and gives hope and promise. Later in the psalm, there is a reminder of who God said the shepherd king is and who we are. Psalm 100, verse 3. Know that the Lord is God, it is he who made us. We are his and we are his people. We are the sheep of his pasture. In Isaiah chapter 40, another Text often read during the Advent season, 10 and 11 say this. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. Sometimes we need those words, don't we, when we're living with the king now. There's days when we feel empowered and we feel, feel ready to go out and take on the difficulties of the world. And there's days we just need the king to sort of cradle us like this, like a shepherd. Some of you re- may remember a book came out a long time ago. I looked it up. It was first published date. It's been redone. First published in 1970. But it was Philip Keller, and he wrote the book called A Shepherd Looks at the 23rd Psalm. It's a bit of a classic. It's still in print, still available. And in there, Philip Keller says of a shepherd, he says, the lot in life of any particular sheep depended on the type of man who owned it. 
Some men are gentle, kind, intelligent, brave, and selfless in their devotion to their flock. Under one man, sheep would struggle, starve, and suffer endless hardship. In another's care, they would flourish and thrive consistently. The nature of the king determines the kingdom. The nature of the shepherd determines how the flock is cared for and how secure they are. And whose care do you want to be in? What kind of shepherd do you need? In Micah's day, there was no peace, but in our everyday, we can know peace. In my everyday, I need to know the peace of Christ. For me, some days, uh, the way my, my walk and my relationship with Christ is going now is, is peace becomes an actual choice and a decision that I need to make. If I'm entering into a day or a week that has, uh, has some difficulties coming through it, either some large tasks that need to be accomplished or a conflict that has to be approached and resolved or things that I'm just struggling with inner that it's making me question about how I'm doing things or what I'm doing, sometimes it becomes a very conscious choice to choose the peace of Christ. And remember that this Jesus that I stand up here and talk about is one we have a relationship with that in my day-to-day relationship is my shepherd and king of peace. One of my breath prayers that I utter out loud often is peace of Christ, peace of Christ. And when I say that, I'm reminded of what John said in John 16, 33, where he says, in the world you will have troubles. Jesus promised that you will, when you have troubles, why is God doing this to me? Well, he's just fulfilling his promise. In the world, you will have tribulation, some versions say. But be of good cheer, he says. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. In me, you will have peace. In me, you will have peace. The world's going to throw a lot of stuff at you, but in me, you will have peace. I want to live in my everyday fully with the king of peace. Not ignoring him, not denying or running away from troubles, but connected with Christ and confident that I can take them on and that he will be the king of peace. The nature of this king will determine how the kingdom lives out in me. Jesus is the shepherd king. And in verse 4, Micah says that in him we will live securely. And that's the second point here, that living with a king means we will live in security. In security. Did anybody watch the Republican debate last Tuesday? I think I have a picture of our Republican. There they are. And um, no comments. You're dying to make comments, and so am I. But we were busy Tuesday night, but we actually DVR'd it because we kind of wanted to watch this thing. And so we had it on later in the evening after we were cleaning up. And um, I noticed that this week in particular, all of the candidates, almost exclusively, exclusively around the theme of terrorism and the threat of ISIS, or what you happen to call it in your political persuasion, <laughs> ISIS, Islamic State, ISIL. They were dealing with the theme of terrorism, and it's all in the aftermath of what happened in Paris and what happened in San Bernardino, because those events have upped the fear factor. Those have upped the fear factor and the demand for an effective approach from a government. And all of these people were critical of how this current administration is not handling it well, and they all have a great plan for how they will do it so much better. I'm not sure who to believe and who to trust these days. But the point that I'm making is that there is a higher level of fear now. Some of it is stoked by the media. Some of it is stoked by the candidates that speak of it. But it's very real what has happened in Paris and San Bernardino and has threatened to happen in other places. It demands for an effective approach from leadership. But no one can guarantee anything. Shall we then be 
gripped, live our lives gripped by fear? That's a question we have to ask also as followers of Christ. It is a scary world. We do have questions about what to do. This whole thing of, of school being canceled when a threat goes out. I heard something on, on NPR just the other day where L.A. made the call to cancel school. New York made the call to go ahead with school. And one of the commentators was somebody who's a, a school administrator and says, threats like this come in every day to school districts. Every day to large school districts. Who makes the call and how gripped by fear will we be? Psalm 27.1 says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is a stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? It's the question of those who walk with Christ and live with the King then is, Whom shall I fear? Certainly we need to be cautious. Certainly we need to be very aware of what's going on in our world. Certainly we need to be realistic about the things that are happening now. The good guys and the bad guys are harder to tell apart. And the labels that we give to them don't always fit. We need to be praying for the leadership of our country, whether you like them or not. We need to be praying for them. Scripture calls us to that. And we need to be praying for peace. But if we truly believe that Jesus holds all of history in his hands, as Scripture tells us, if we truly believe he holds all of history in his hands and he truly is the King of kings and he truly is the Lord of lords, and this is not just a clever theme for Naperville Covenant during Advent, but this is the reality that he is King of kings and Lord of lords, then who do we fear? What do we fear? Micah says, and they shall live securely in his reign. We shall live in security in his reign, no matter what happens around us. And that confidence comes in what we are called to in Christ. And that's what I would would call a a long-term relationship. Verse 4 says, And they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. This is looking ahead when his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. We're not there yet, but we trust, we believe, we follow, and ultimately we are safe and secure in him. Living with a king means living in security. One more note I want to make about this passage that's not really in here directly, but kind of indirectly, is the sense of significance, living with the king. There's something here about how God lifts up the smaller, how God lifts up the younger, how God seems to to kind of exalt the marginalized sometimes. The first clue is in what Micah says about Bethlehem and how the familiar carol is named. We sang it this morning, Oh, little town of Bethlehem. Micah says, but you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come one who will be ruler over Israel. That was a, that's kind of neat for the Bethlehem people to say, you know, one's going to come from here. Apparently the word here for though you are small is a Hebrew word better translated as least or even insignificant. It's used elsewhere in the Bible to describe one who is younger or one who is lesser in social status, one who has no power. Though you are small, though you are insignificant, though you are in the lower levels of the social standing, though you have little power, one will come from you. We know the story well. We know the names Jacob, Joseph, and David himself. They were all younger brothers, the ones not supposed to be chosen. In fact, biblical law commands that the older brother gets the birthright, no matter the feelings of the father. And yet it happens again and again. The youngest is chosen. Jacob gets the birthright and the blessing. Joseph is exalted over his brothers. David is overlooked until all of his brothers have been paraded before Samuel as the future king, and David, the youngest, the little one from the flocks, tending the flocks, is chosen to be king. He's finally called in for the pastures, 
stands before the prophet and is anointed the shepherd king. Bethlehem is a little backwater. It's an insignificant little town. And the one who comes from it cannot be expected to amount to much. It is a judgment both on the town and on those who live there. And yet in the case of Bethlehem and those who come from her, the old biblical pattern holds true. The insignificant are exalted. The lower, the least, the lost are lifted up by God and his power. God continually breaks the mode and brings the surprises to us. We see it all through Scripture, and it's counter to how the world often works. It's counter to how our world works now. Those with money, those with power, those with social connections seem to be the ones that get ahead. But in Scripture and in God's economy, it's often the most unlikely of people who are instruments of God's salvation. From this insignificant little village, a young shepherd boy grows up to become the most beloved king in Israel's history. And a descendant of that king fulfills God's long-awaited promise of deliverance. Not just for Israel, but for the whole world. The least and the last and the lost become lifted in the presence of the shepherd king. And there's hope in that for each of us as well. No matter what we may think about our standing in this world, to God... You are of great value. No matter how insignificant we might feel our impact is, we might hear of others who have done great things for the kingdom of God, or even this morning, as we hear of someone who's invested a lot of time and energy to care for you, you might think, well, I haven't done much for my church. And yet to you, God says, you are significant to me. You are important to me. Let me be your king. (laughs) Let me help you live into that significance. It's this question of letting him be the boss of me. What will it mean for us to let him be the boss of you? The nature of the king determines the nature of the kingdom. The kind of shepherd that we follow is going to determine the kind of life that we live in the way that we are part of that flock as one of his sheep that he loves and cares for. The kingdom of God in its fullness is still to come, and yet there is a kingdom within you. Jesus said that the kingdom of God is within you. And the question then we answer or ask ourselves is, who is my king and how then will I live with that king? By letting him become enthroned in our life and taking ourselves off the throne does not take away who I am. It actually fulfills who I am and who you are the kind of king that you have on your throne. As we get ready to sing our closing song in a few minutes, I just want us to reflect for a moment on this final question. Of what steps can you take today to improve the... It's a quality of life question. I like that. I try to throw that quality of life. We always say that, don't we? What is the quality of your life? And what would it take to improve the quality of your life in your relationship with Jesus? Let's reflect on that for a moment, and then I'll pray. And then we'll sing. Holy God, we thank you for a moment of quiet. In a season of year when there's just a lot of noise. But Lord, in the midst of this season where there's a lot of noise, we pray, Lord, that we would carve out these moments where all we hear is the voice of the shepherd who calls us leads us. 
Jesus, we thank you that you are the shepherd king. We thank you that you've called us to live with you now and follow you now and enthrone you now. We thank you for being our king of kings, our lord of lords, our prince of peace. We continue to worship in your name as we give you thanks and praise. Amen. Lord Jesus, you are the Prince of Peace. You are our King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And we have just sung that we will live our life for you. May we go into this very special, very busy, yet wonderful week aware that you are Lord, Savior, King, and Shepherd. We love you, and together we shout hallelujah. Ready? One, hallelujah. 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 Have a great day.